up and going. Now get this thing up and going. Yeah, there we go. Okay. We're good. All right. I've been thinking about <clears throat> so much stuff. Anyway, let me jump into this. Maybe we'll cover some of it now or afterwards. This is the Revelation of Jesus Christ, part 25. We're looking at the Son of Man, this one that John saw in the midst of the candlesticks. Last week, we saw he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And today we're going to look at, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says his, his face did shine as the sun and his garments became white as the light. And Mark's account of that, or I should say Peter's account, because Mark is Peter's gospel anyway, his garments, his garments became shining or, or glisten, glistening. It means to lighten forth, flash like lightning. I, I always kind of get this picture in my mind. It's a dumbed-down picture, but you, you remember Elvis used to wear them suits and a rhinestone cowboy, and they all glistened. Way more than that, but they were glistening. Uh, see, in him <clears throat> was glory, and it had been concealed. They couldn't see it. And here his majesty and his glory is, uh, has uh, burst forth. And, you know, we talked before about it, I, I believe, at that time when you know, he, he could have he went on. I mean, he has fulfilled the law, everything, and there he is. But we're looking at these verses. This, this is a breaking forth, if you will, of the glory of the incorruptible life of God that was flowing through the veins of Christ's perfect humanity. Remember, he's the prototype. He's what we were supposed to be. And uh, I know you know these verses, but I want you to think about this. Now, John, the one on the Isle of Patmos here, uh, on Patmos here he's... Also got a gospel, and he writes this. The same one who sees the vision of one like a son of man, he writes this gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about the Word here. In him was life, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And of course that word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 8, 12, listen to this. This is with the woman calling the act of adultery. And, and this is at the end of that state, statement. And Jesus spake again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Light of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. Now, we've heard of the light of a candle or the light of the stars or the light of the moon. We call it moonlight, sunlight. 
But this is the light of life. The glory of the transfiguration was the momentary unveiling of the heavenly light of Christ's life. It shone from his face. It shone from his garments and emanated like a blazing sun. His eyes were like lamps of fire. This was resurrection life. This is kingdom life. And, and also this pictures tell us what our incorruptible bodies will be. Fashioned like His most glorious body. Scripture tells us God is light. And in Him there's, yeah, no, no, I mean, not a little bit. Not he gets angry. There's no darkness. He is light. And the human situation apart from God is total darkness. I don't know if you've ever been. I know Dad's been in the mines before. You go down there and turn it, you can see nothing. You know, working in some of them tunnels and they're so long you could see nothing. There's no light at all. It's total darkness. A darkness that can be felt. And in that, how do you know which way to go? You have no idea. You're lost. Then God comes in in the power of His Spirit and by the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the light. And we find our way by following Him who is the ways. That's what He said. You follow me. I'm the light. And you will not walk in darkness. He's the lamp unto our feet. The Old Testament says. And in that light, we learn who we are. We learn who the Father is. Now, remember this is a book of, of symbols. And all this will, will tie together. Spiritual bodies, uh, I, I guess the thing that's been on my mind is sometimes when you go through this book and some of these things, I, get, I want us to get out of that religious mindset. Uh, and I'm not poking at anybody. I'm talking all of us because we have a way that we approach the Bible. And sometimes we can't think outside of this. Well, this, this book here hopefully is going to, there's a breaking forth here. Because uh, it's, and, and really in this breaking forth, it opens up the whole scriptures in a whole new way. Uh, you know, that's why we spent so long talking about angels and our conception of angels and our mindsets. But spiritual bodies are represented as shining as uh, the lightning. In Matthew 28, Jesus is buried, put in a tomb, it's sealed, and a stone is on it. Now listen to this in verse 2 and 3, Matthew 28, 2 and 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now we'll find out this earthquake happens a lot in the book of Revelation. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Angel of the Lord again. Find him all over the place. And came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And then the Holy Spirit, who's the author of all scriptures, has to tell us what this guy looks like. Now why is that? Do you ever think? I mean, he wanted us to know. He didn't, he didn't say the angel of the Lord rolled the stone back and then go on. He had to tell us exactly what he looked like. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Huh. Saul of Tarsus saw a great light. Uh, he talks about it about three times in, in the book of Acts. It says, above the brightness of the sun. Hebrews, now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7, and of the angels, now remember the lesson we did on the angels, the messengers, the carrier of the message, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. 
Remember Moses on the backside of the desert. He's run from Pharaoh. He's run from all his responsibilities. There he is keeping the sheep. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. At the birth of Jesus, the, the shepherds were in Bethlehem keeping the flocks by night. Something that they regularly did. And they must not have been afraid because the Holy Spirit has to tell us. The angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Now John saw the manifestation of this glory of, of the Son, Son of Man, on the holy mount. And I wondered if it was mentioned, Son of Man, in any of these gospels around the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, in Mark 9, verse 9, And as they came down from the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. He has to tell us the same one, Son of Man. And John sees him again here on the Isle of Patmos as he beheld the splendor of this one like a Son of Man whose countenance was as the sun shining in its strength. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, I'll go back over it. In the scriptures, the Lord is symbolized by the sun. I won't give you all the verses, but uh, a few of them from the uh, Psalms. Psalms uh, 84. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. Uh, Psalm 89. While we're there, 89, 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. That's exactly what we're talking about. I just want to say when we are in this book of Revelation, we don't have to go to Fox News or CNN or World Reports. Everything is going to come right out of this book. Psalm uh, 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 36. Now notice in these verses, he doesn't say he gives me light. He's it. Psalm 36 and verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. In thy light shall we see light. Remember, he's the light of life. The light of men. Psalm 43. Verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring unto, let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. And isn't it amazing? Jesus is the light. He said, I am the light. And he says, I am the truth. And let them lead me. And they bring him where? To the holy hill and to the tabernacles. And, and the Hebrew writer says, we have come to that holy hill, Mount Zion. Light's the very substance of God. It's the essence of his own person who is love. God who is light, who is fire, who is love. The glorious Son of God is the one in whom the unapproachable, incomprehensible glory of God is made manifest. 
I'll say that again. The unapproachable, incomprehensible glory of God is made manifest in Jesus. And as we only know the sun by the light that shines from it, so God's Christ, the outshining, another way, the express image, is the revelation of God's glory. And as the light that shines from the sun is one nature with the sun. I mean, you get that? That's that's hard to... Really, if you think about it, it's not hard because I know we think in a family structure, mom or dad and mom and kids and all of that stuff. But I want you to understand, I mean, there's a a verse here in Revelation. Um, And and where we've been at on Sunday morning. In verse 6, Revelation 1, 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. Most people look over that because they, they would have said, And to Jesus and His Father. But this verse says, Hath made us kings and priests unto God and God's Father. Now what, do you, what can you do with that? So we try to make one smaller than it. Do you think the light of the sun is different than the sun itself? No, it's not. It's the, it's the outflow of it. Now John tells us he's the word. Word or Words originate. They, they originate inside of you. When they come out, they're you in word form. And that word was in God in the beginning. And it came out from God, no less than God. And put on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it must be of the same substance. So the sons of God are the very substance of God in the earth. And Christ, who is what? He's the light. And where is He? My gosh, He's in you. And then what happens? It breaks out. It it must arise and shine, the Scripture says. The day star... As we'll get to it later on, arises in your heart. And it must have preeminence. We're at where He is in you, in your hearts. And the glory of God is the emanation or the, or the radiation of His, of His nature. You know, the, the natural sun has a radiation, an emanation. God's radiation or emanation is His glory. And as we are filled with His glory, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let me go over there and and read you those verses. 2 Corinthians. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. So, I mean, you just think of the direction of these things. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to do what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God we're at in the face of Jesus Christ. Where we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency, the majesty of the power may be of God and not of us. And in that, we have this treasure. We we radiate His nature to creation. Paul would, uh, another writer, he would call it a smell. That's the same thing. You can't see a smell. You smell a skunk long before you ever see one on the side of the road. You don't even know if you ran over it. But you know, Paul said to some were a savor of life, to some a savor of death. It's the same. It's, it's an, an emanation, a radiation. And it's Christ in you. It's not doctrines. It's not the word of the kingdom. It's not another man's faith. It's not another man's revelation. 
but your own indwelling light that enables you to manifest as the one in the midst of the candlesticks whose countenance is as the sun shining in its strength. Now people, uh, I think it's funny uh, what we call stars. Because if you would say, oh, well, he's a star, the first thing people would think of, he's a movie star. And people follow them. They have their own following. And people follow wandering stars. People follow falling stars. But thank God there's a people in whom the light of God is being formed and birthed. And we're partakers of His divine nature. If we're partakers of His divine nature, what is His nature? Uh, Love, it's light. So you're partakers of the light, which He is. Conformed to His image, a, a new life found within, even the light of life. And as the light of God increases in us, We're being brought to the place where all our need is fully met by that inner sufficiency. Where all of our needs are met by that inner sufficiency. The word Rabin uses all all the time, that's sufficiency. Of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why he says you're complete. I mean, everything you need is there. And not from that which comes from without. I mean, Jesus... I mean, we think about, oh, that's a miracle. Where did the loaves and fish come from? I mean, do you ever just think, I mean, where did it come from? It came out from Him. I'm going to tell you where it came out because He's the Creator and He could do things like that. Well, we're partakers of that same nature, one with Him. And we've seen those things. We've confessed those things here in a smaller degree, you know, with with corn and mashed potatoes and, and things of that nature. Same thing. Where did it come from? Now listen to this, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise and shine, for the light has come. Now who is the light? Jesus. For the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. Now I can tell you this is a great picture of the resurrection right here of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is laying in the tomb and arise and shine. And there He is. He comes out in His countenance, His light. Now I mean this is a picture of Him coming out of the tomb in His glory. And guess what? We're made partakers of that same glory. And Paul tells us to arise and shine. That's about the Lord Jesus, but He's the forerunner. Yeah, I mean, you understand. And we're, we're part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who this glory is seen upon. That He gives to us. That He shares with us. Now, let me break this down a little bit more. But the, uh, I'm in verse 2 here. But the Lord shall rise upon thee. Now where does he arise at? On thee. He isn't going to arise in the eastern skies of the physical heavens as the church world tells us. But he arises upon you and me. Do you, do you get that? I mean, we got to look. I mean, location here. Now darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people. But in spite of the abounding Troubles and wickedness and madness and violence. The prophetic voice of the Lord is in the earth proclaiming with a great voice of the sound of the trumpet. That God is preparing His kings and His priests for the grand task of bringing reconciliation, restoration, transformation to the fallen world. That's in gross darkness. Because in thee shall all nations be blessed. Now where is He? He is in you. So you were a part of this thing. I mean, it's, it's magnificent. It's wonderful. Most, uh, you know, the church world has no idea 
uh, what they've been called to. No idea. I mean, we get so enamored with our own little troubles and tribulations and we get sidetracked by all of that stuff. I mean, we have to come to a point. I mean, think about this. Think how many people in the church has a t-shirt on that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then, you know, the verse right after that, in whatever state I find myself in, I'm content. And I think, what are you doing wallowing in the floor here? Because when I'm content, I'm not wallowing in the floor. You, you understand what I mean? It's the mentality. It's like we say one thing, but we believe something else. Nothing man has done or can do that is beyond hope. He's it. I mean, that's the glorious of the resurrection. Now, one glorious Son of God, Jesus, came into the world of, of this darkness, this gross darkness, this pagan darkness, of ruthlessness, violence, power, madness, and by the Holy Spirit of His life, conquered all the gods of the pagans, all the gods of Egypt, and altered the course of world history. He did that. It said of the disciples, the apostles, these men turned the world upside down. And that divine seed that fell into this earth has sprung forth in the hearts of many. And is now ready to bring forth a harvest. Many sons to His glory. I mean, He says that. Now, for 2,000 years, the world has seen the candlesticks. Now it's time for them to see the one in the midst of the candlesticks whose countenance is as the sun shining in its strength. And in the midst of the gross darkness, where is it? He's rising in our hearts. Because who were we? We were all a part of the gross darkness. And He commanded the light to shine out of darkness. It's shined into our hearts, into our hearts that were full of gross darkness. He who is light gets right down where the darkness is. He doesn't come from way off to dispel the night for God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. God has met us right where we are. But God commanded the light to shine out of our darkness and the dawning of God's day within us has lightened our sky and made us a body of light to usher in a new day. That's what the light is in it, a new day for all creation. And as we... Shed His glory abroad. Radiate that. We're lights in humanity's sky. And for those in darkness, you'll appear as a star. Do, do you see? It depends on... Now, stars are suns, but, you know, they're just far away. Jesus tells us that light, you don't put it under a bushel hide it under a bed you set it on a pole for all to see so let no shadow of self or law when I say shadow I'm always thinking of the old keep your light from shining but fill the earth with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ we're, we were appointed to shine as the sun scriptures tells us we have now come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God who is light. It's not our desire to merely see the light or tell of the light or live in the light. We must become one with the light. Scripture says, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. Jesus said that. He said, I'm the light of the world. You, you're the light of the world. You are, you are the light in the Lord. And I know how unworthy and small and unprepared we feel for all this. We pray about it and all the wars and the lies and everything. And I don't know about you, but... I, 
I was, was coming up here Sunday, and I was thinking about all this stuff. And do you ever just feel so small in your prayers? Like, what can I do to affect what's going on in Canada? What can I do to affect this? Have you ever looked at a map? The Soviet Union is huge. What can I do? Because I'm never going to meet Putin and Biden and all these people. What can I do to affect that? And you feel so small and unprepared. I mean, I don't have grandiose words. You know, I tell them all the time, my prayer begins with a groan. That's where a prayer begins, isn't it? That's where the real guts of it is. Paul called, talked about the bowels of mercy. That's something way down inside there that just rumbles around. It might be in there for a month before you can even get it out. I'm not talking about them little, little ones we throw out there, them, them other ones. And I wondered, this is just me talking here, I wondered, why, Lord, why are we so few? I mean, these others, it seems like they prosper and there's so many. And man, it doesn't matter. They could say, I'm going to cut my toenails on Wednesday, a thousand people to show up. Why? What's going on? And you know, there's this light that's down inside in scriptures and they just come to you. And, and he says, you know, uh, remember Gideon? And all the time he said, that's too many. That's too many. Got too many. Call them down. He called them down. He called them down to get to that number so that you'll know it's of the Lord. The excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. But we are in the one in the midst of the candlesticks. Do you see that? I mean, I used to think, wow, you know, we're part of the church. Yes, we're part of the church. But I'm now, I'm, I'm, wait a minute, there's one in the midst of the candlesticks. One likened it to a son of man, sons of the living God. And I can guarantee you, we have all been called for such a time as this. Just like Esther was. Guarantee it. I mean, He's given us the light of life. Joy, peace, victory, glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has said inside of each one of us, let there be light. I mean, you realize He spoke inside of us, let there be light. And you know what? Whether you wanted it or not, there was light. Because that's who He is. I mean, I, I go back and I look in creation and... The creation that was void wasn't praying for light to come. He spoke it. And we wasn't looking for the Lord. People to say, well, I found Jesus. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but you didn't find Him. He spoke light. And that word that He spoke became flesh. See, we must... First see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shining in our hearts. And then it will be radiating forth to enlighten the earth. you got to see that first. Isaiah said of the des desolation of the earth, and they shall see the glory of the Lord. He said that. He saw the desolation and they shall see the glory of the Lord. Where are they going to see that at? All shall see the glory of the Lord as it was upon the countenance of Moses, as it radiated forth from the whole being of, of Jesus Christ, as it shone in the face of Stephen. You know, Moses, it, it, his face shone. The glory of the latter house must be greater than the former. There must be a sense that the glory of the Lord is filling his temple. So much filling this temple, why would the Holy Spirit have to tell us that the glory filled the temple that the priest couldn't even minister in there anymore? Nobody was able to stand and minister. And all, all that is of ourselves, all that is common and ordinary, all that is done by rote must be hushed and fall down as dead before the very presence of the glory of God. Because it's from 
underneath, underneath the threshold of the house that the living waters flow out. I always get these pictures where the threshold, I mean, that's the bottom. From the deepest dimensions of our lives. I mean, that's why he said, out of your bellies. Didn't say out of your mouths, out of the deepest reservoirs of your being. And out of that low place and out of the temple and out of the tabernacle of our, of our God, there will be that expression, that shining forth of the brightness of the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. The beautiful expression of His light and life and authority and the power of His glory. And I said before, we're all born in a world of darkness, sin and death. And Christ is appearing within us as light to begin to dispel the darkness. See, when there's no light, there's no hope. I mean, people will use this expression. And it's an expression of hope. I see light at the end of the tunnel. And then uh, Debbie Downer said, I hope it ain't a train. So light is, is symbolic here of hope. Now Jesus is the light. Jesus is the hope. So he comes into us and, and, and that light, and you know, from a distance and a small, it's seen as a star. And his light that comes into us is making it possible for us to trust uh, in our Father or to have faith to change us from glory to glory. His light within us is manifested as a greater revelation of truth. And by increasing His faith within us, by raising up His nature of peace and joy and love and confidence and authority and victory in all the happenings of our lives. And we begin to see things in the world more positively. For we know who's on the throne And we've learned this experientially by His great faithfulness in our own experiences, in our own testings, and in our own circumstances. You can't live on another man's revelation. You can't live on another man's experience. It, they're worthless to you. They really are. You've got to have it for yourself. And by that, we begin to see people in a different light by the true spirit of unconditional love and mercy and grace and reconciliation, salvation, this is all the light of Christ, the light of life. Now this glory of God is the radiation or emanation of His nature and power. This glory surrounds Him. And as we become partakers... Of the divine nature, we also radiate the glory of His nature. We receive His glory when we are made partakers of His divine nature. There's no other way by which we can enter into the glory of the Lord. You have to be partakers of it. When it says He is bringing many sons to glory, that's not a geological or geographical location. A lot of people take it that way. He's bringing many sons to glory. They think, well, they call that glory land. That's not what he's talking about. It's a realm in, in, the, in the Holy Spirit that belongs to eternity. God brings us to glory by recreating himself in us. Christ formed in you. Giving us his nature. Reproducing in us his image and his likeness. Filling us with His fullness until the light of the glory of that divine nature radiates from us to give light and life to all creation. As the sun is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of His person, we are conformed to the image of the sun. Then we also become the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. 
his countenance was as, as the sun that shineth in his strength. Now the word countenance, that's the word for uh, face. And, and the face stands spiritually for the inward nature because the, the face is the revealer of one's inmost being. I mean, it's who you are. I mean, that's why that's the picture on your driver's license. This is who. This is, this is you. That's your identity. But all of that comes from the inside. So, I mean, beauty is seen in the face. Emotion is seen in the face. Weakness is seen in the face. Anxiety is seen in the face. Sin can be seen in the face. Determination. Uh, strength, confidence, character is all seen in the face. Now, we don't have a picture, no matter what they try to paint, we don't have a picture of the Jesus of Galilee. But the power of the Spirit of that man within us reveals the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So much so... Uh, Revelation 1.17 says, And when I saw him, who's him? This one that we've been describing for weeks. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now when Moses, you remember Moses, he desired to see the glory of God. He was warned that no man could see God's face and live. Now, you ever think about how sad that is, that you can never see the face of your father? I mean, do you just really, because some people will stop and say, well, you can't look at God and live. And then stop, but then he's our father. So you're telling me I can never look in the face of my father? Well, he told Moses, no man could see God's face and live. And naturally so, how, how can our mortal vision turn its gaze upon the glory that's in, ineffable? I mean, you couldn't go out here at, at 2 o'clock and look at the sun for more than two seconds. It'll blind you. And that's natural. And the glory they saw was brighter than the sun in its fullest strength. And when John saw the glory of this one like a son of man, it so overwhelmed him, he fell uh, as a dead man. He had no strength in him. I mean, he's, boom. I mean, I'm going to hit on something here. You, you might think that John would have leaped and danced and shouted for joy in the revelation of the glory of the fullness of Christ. Why didn't he do that? Everybody comes and says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord jumping around and, and doing all this stuff. John is the same one who laid his head on the, on the bosom of Jesus. And he, he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he, he watched him heal people. And he watched him raise the dead. He watched him speak to the wind and the sea. And it obeyed him. He never did fall on his face as dead. He, I mean, he saw Jesus in the upper room. In the resurrection, didn't he? He didn't fall on his face as dead. He saw him when he ascended in the cloud. He didn't fall on his face as dead. He was there at Pentecost when the fire fell and, and, and all of that stuff. He didn't fall on his face. But now he beholds the Son of Man in his glory and he is like a dead man. He beholds Christ not as he was at first, but as he is at last. And John was changed from glory to glory by beholding the glory of God's Christ. I mean, that's how we're changed. Beholding his glory causes the old you to shrink and to wither away and die, while the new man, Christ in you, matures and grows into his likeness. We've already talked about him, Saul of Tarsus, you know, on his letters, 
when he was on in his ministry of death, killing people that dazzling light brighter than the noonday sun, he fell to the ground. He was blinded by the glory. And I tell you, you can, you can go read this yourself. Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet, uh, it was one of the ones taken into Babylonian captivity, had the great visions that he had. He never saw the Lord. He never saw the Lord. He didn't even see the glory of the Lord. He saw only the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He just called a glimpse and he fell down in awe. He just called a glimpse of it. It was so bright for Moses, he had to be put in a cleft of the rock and God's hand put over him and he passed by and he could only see the hinder parts. And, and here's a question. Job says, behold, I am vile. When did he say that? I mean, did he, did he say that when he was, I mean, did he say that because he was depressed by his afflictions? Because what about all the calamities, all of his kids and all of his flocks and everything's taken away? What did he say then? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when Job's friends came and reasoned with him and reproved him and tried to convince him of sin, did, did he say, I'm, no, he didn't say it then. It was when the Lord appeared out of the whirlwind and he got a glimpse of the glory of God. He says, behold, I am vile. He was made to stand in the all-penetrating light of God's holy glory and was made to realize something of His surpassing majesty. And, and you know, that's what the world needs. They need. Because that's the only thing that's going to bring people down off their high horse. No matter what. You can talk and preach and, and do all of those things. There's only one thing brings people down off their high horse. Seeing... God in His glory. And where are they going to see that glory? It's in you. And we're changed from glory to glory. I'm telling you, when a soul is truly brought into the presence of the living God, boasting stops. Our credentials are over. Our own righteousness is turned to rubbish. We cry, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm talking really into the presence of the glory of God. When God makes to the, to the, to the soul a personal revelation of His glory, you're convinced of your own wretchedness. Nothing else will do. You can read the Bible all you want, hear all the preaching. It won't do. When He shines into our understanding and hearts and brings to light the hidden things of darkness, we see the utter corruption of our humanity. And we're abominable in our own eyes. That's the only time we, we will need salvation. You know? See, you get little glimpses here or there, but I'm talking at His feet is dead. And you know, thank God for it. When we stand in the blazing light of Him who is a, what, consuming fire. The nature of the Adamic man of sin is slain by the breath of His mouth. Now, i got to say something here. John falling as one dead is not being slain in the Spirit. There's a There's a... There, there is a genuine experience of actually falling under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and you know, I've, I've, you guys have been around it more than me, but I mean, I've been around it, and I know the guy comes up and pushes you on the head or pushes you on the chest, and, and people fall down. And, and, you know, people get afraid for it. Even see one guy that he could go like that and knock everybody over. And you go ask those people, did the Lord speak to you or show you anything? And 99.9% of them say no. They counted a thrill to be knocked over by the Lord. 
It's thrilling. It's, it's part of that charismatic movement. Always there's a real and there's a counterfeit. We see it all through Scripture. And we are to try the spirits and see whether they are the Lord. And I will tell you, I've been slain in the spirit and I don't doubt you are. And I can tell you what, mine wasn't in the church. John was on the Isle of Patmos. It's in the most unlikely places at the most unlikely times. And no music is playing and none of these things that you expect. And behold, I'm telling you, I've been in that glory and felt the weight of it and... It's, to me, I'm just telling you my own experience, it was so heavy. Now, you would think it was so light, but it's like it, it, I can't, I don't know, I'm just telling you my words. It was like it was pushing me down. Not like I was resisting, but I could feel the weight of it and see it, and it was so awesome. I prayed, it's too much. I'm dead. It come out of my mouth. I'd like to take it back. You know, I'd like to in golf. You get a mulligan. I wish I could. But it, I'm telling you, when this really happens, and it didn't happen in church, and thank God nobody was around, but I mean, there ain't no mistaking it. And, and let me tell you something. When that happens, you are changed forever. I mean, that's it. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said or all of this. Nobody was there doing nothing. That's it. You were slain in the Spirit. And there are people who try to prostitute the gift of God and, and to do all of those things. And I'm telling you, all I can say to people that, that hear this is try the spirits. Because if you've truly been slain in the Spirit, there's a word being spoken, there's a revelation, there's a whole lot going on. It's not just a boom, I fell over and they covered me up and nothing happened. We must see Him to be changed into His likeness. We must see Him. We must see Him as He is. We have to meet Him like Paul did and John did and Peter. We must see Him in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And we must hear this, His voice speaking to us out of the deepest recesses of our spirit. We must commune with Him in the glory of God that radiates from the face of of Jesus, you must meet him personally. You have to. Now, back on this verse, no man can see God and live. No man can stand in the full blaze of divine glory until he himself corresponds in nature to that glory. I mean, as I said before, our desire is to see him. If not, then we're without hope. No man can see God and live. And I told you, Jesus is not different from God. He's God manifest in the flesh. I told you that we're made kings and priests unto God and His Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our desires to see Him are without hope. No man can see God and live. And I can equally say this. Now listen to what I'm saying. No man can see God and live. And I can equally say no man can see God and die. He's life. He's light. Men don't die in God's presence. Neither do they live as they used to live in God's presence. They are transformed. They're changed. And in whatever measure God reveals Himself to us, in whatever measure, proportion, uh, Paul writes over there, to that same manner you are changed. And nothing can avoid that uh, conclusion. To the, to the measure you see Him, that's the measure you are changed. That's why we come and, and preach and behold to the people Christ Jesus. We preach not ourselves, but Christ and Him crucified. Because that's what changes people. They must see Him. If they go to see the preacher, or if they go to hear a message, they missed everything. And I know why some folks can't die to the flesh. When you see Him, you die. That's it. 
You're slain. I know why some preachers preach themselves instead of the Lord Jesus. Why they can't preach without reminding people what good preachers they are and how great their message is and how chosen of God they are. If they ever see Him, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm vile. I'm on my face as dead. I'm telling you, yeah, I mean, that's it. And you know when that's happened to people. They don't have, I mean, we can listen to their story about it and tell them our story about what happened to us too. The same thing. But until that point. Now sometimes these things happen as we'll find in the, in the book of Revelation. There's a flash of light. There's a star. A boom, boom, boom. But in the full glory of who he is. I mean, it put John down. I mean, truly we're changed by beholding the glory of the Lord. And listen, you won't see Christ until you start looking for Him. You won't see Christ until you start looking for Him. And you won't find Him until you go where He's revealed. So you got to be looking for Him. And you got to be looking for Him where He is. I mean, you know, just... I, th- I know a lot of times in, in, we take logic out of it, but, you know, I know where Dad lives. So, you know, if I was to go look for Dad uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, it would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? He lives right over there, so I'm going to go where he lives. Now, where does Christ? Christ lives in you, so if I'm going to be looking for him, I need to be looking for him where he is. That would be pretty logical. You won't find him until you go where he's revealed. And he's fully, totally revealed in his glory in the realm of the Spirit in you. He's revealed in the midst of the golden candlesticks, in the midst of the spirits that have been quickened by his Spirit and set on fire from that fire which he is. And then it says, He laid his right hand upon me, Saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last. You know, it's not, do you remember when the riots, some people call them protests when the riots was going on a couple years ago and the people would fall down and have to kiss in people's feet. That's humiliating. To fall down before him as one dead has never been an ounce of humiliation in it at all. There's no condemnation in him. I mean, when Paul was slain, Jesus laid his right hand on him and said, Rise, stand on thy feet. And only the glorious Christ of God has ever lifted a man out of the dust of sin and death. That's what he does to us. We see our vileness. Like Isaiah, he takes that coal and puts on his lips. Like John, he lays his right hand on him and raises him up. And like us, I mean, see him in his glory. That's the only thing that raises us up out. And and when he laid his right hand, John says he laid his right hand upon me. And in that blessed moment, John arose to behold in spirit glorious things never before known by man. Now right hand, that's the, that's the, the hand of strength and power and salvation, blessing, anointing. Right hand is the good hand of God doing wondrous things. I could, we could go through a thousand verses about the right hand. Of, of God, whenever God is portrayed as manifesting His power, it's done so with His right hand or His arm in the Scriptures. Jesus is exalted where? To the right hand of God. He, he's the pasta force in, in the universe. All power is, is given to Him. Now, we went over this verse a while back. You know, there's no greater... Paul talks about the prize. You ever wonder what the prize is? I mean, you know, he, he gives us that verse. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, what is it? What's the prize? I'm going to say oneness 
with Christ. No greater prize. Now, yes, we are, but do we know it? Do we really believe it? Have we seen it? I mean, you understand what I mean. Paul also writes this in Colossians. If you then be risen with Christ. Question is, are we risen with Christ? Well, understanding, seeing that you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. He says, since you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He says, seek the things of Christ at the right hand of God. Seek the right hand things. Let me say it that way. Seek the right hand things. Now there's your orders. Seek the right hand things. I mean, do you ever, you know, as a soldier you get orders? There's your orders. Seek the right hand things. You don't do that. You're not following orders. Seek it. Seek to be strong in the Lord. Where is his strength? In the right hand. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Seek to rule and reign with Christ. You know, a, a verse that always puzzled me. He that de- desires to be a bishop desires a good thing. How in the world? I thought we're supposed to be humble. Seek to be victorious in all things. Seek to be a blessing to creation. Seek to become His salvation unto all the ends of the earth. Seek to rule by His love. These are all right-hand things where Christ says, uh, seek those things. Now John fell uh, at the feet of Christ as a dead man, and the Lord laid His right hand upon John. The deep mystery here uh, concerns what was in the right hand of Christ that was laid upon John. See, we forget about it as we go through and read. Verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars. I mean, do you see the picture? John fell on his feet as dead. Here's the right hand and in his right hand he's got seven stars. Now, now, now get it, John was in the earth realm of the Isle of Patmos and he felt like you and I feel. Weak and discouraged and limited. He was in tribulation. He was shut up, heads dead. How can my prayers affect anything that's going on? What can I do? I feel so small and compassed about with infirmities as Paul said. But in the spirit he saw one. He, he, and he saw one like unto a son of man in this glory. And, and he saw in his right hand the hand of authority and power, seven stars. And they were the seven angels of the seven churches, which are the seven spirits of God in the right hand. And he fell as dead. What happened in that blessed moment when John died there? The king of glory came and laid his right hand upon him. And you guys know what the laying on of hand means. It means impartation. It means transferal. It's all through the scriptures. They give us this picture over and over. It started out with a lay my hands upon the, on the goat and all my sins transferred. It was an impartation. And then it was blessing you. Lay your hands to bless. And we lay our hands to heal. There's, there's a bestowal of power uh, uh, of a, both authority of God and men. Paul warns us don't be too quick to lay hands on people. We lay hands on the sick. We ordain elders and deacons by laying hands on officers in the church by laying hands on. People receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. The laying on of hands by the Spirit brings impartation of the life and power of God. Now the question is, when Jesus put his right hand on John, what happened to the seven stars that was in the hand of the Son of Man? He put them into John. Do you get a hold of that? John's laying there dead, and he has in his hand the seven stars, which are the seven angels, and I showed you which are the seven spirits of God. And when he put his hand on him, he's imparting into John. 
the seven spirits of God. And from that moment on, John began to see new and glorious and wonderful things that nobody had ever seen. He saw a door open in heaven. Nobody had ever saw a door open in heaven. And what he saw was the, uh, I mean, he's caught up into a higher realm. I mean, here's the rapture if you want to see that. I mean, he's caught up. Uh, uh, What he saw was the revelation, the unveiling, the uncovering of the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. Christ held in his mighty hand the seven stars, the sevenfold word of God, the full revelation and power of that word which originates out of the seven spirits of God. And he lays his, this hand, the right hand on John, and imparts the vision, imparts the authority, imparts the power of that spirit word to John. Now listen to this. Who is John? He's the symbol of every overcomer in Christ. The seven stars, which are the seven angels, which are the seven spirits, which contain the sevenfold fullness of divine revelation and truth were given to John, that by them he would write to the seven churches. The Lord Jesus put this high and holy knowledge of the purposes of God, this Heavenly illumination of his will and of his ways. and his, He put it into John. He laid it on his mind, impregnated it into his spirit. And then and only then did he give the charge to John, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Christ has laid His right hand upon us. We've heard the voice as the sound of a trumpet turned to see the voice. And we've seen the seven golden candlesticks and beheld the one in the midst. Seen the glory fallen as dead and He's laid His right hand on us. And there's a mighty impartation given to each of us. And we're seeing wondrous things and experiencing great and mighty things that we knew not. And I'll read this verse and quit. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Amen. Revelation, part 25. We'll quit with that.